Dead Bod Rap Pod, episode, drumroll, 14, where we will be looking at the year of 1988, when I was just a wee lad. Um, were y'all even born? I really feel like <laughs> I was afraid to broach the topic because I feel like I was a fully functional person with an agenda in 88. I was in second grade. Okay. Yeah, same here. Same here. So fully functioning agenda. Deep, deep exhale on that. All right. My agenda was like pizza day. <laughs> Man. That nature. Thursday, the... the Mine still is. Huh? Sour, <laughs> sourdough bread pizza. Um, gosh. So yeah, 1988. Um, we're going to get into it. We each have an album from 1990, 1990, 1988 that we're going to uh, talk about a little bit in depth. But before we get into that... Um, we'll get into the introductions. If this is your first time listening to the Dad Bod Rap Pod, you're 14 episodes behind. Don't trip. You can binge it. It's like Breaking Bad. You'll, you'll catch up very quickly. Um, on my right, I have the incredible uh, super fan, as it were, Mr. Nate LeBlanc. How's it going? What's up, world? Everything's good, man. Can't yeah. Complain. Yeah. I would if I could. You know this. That's true. But who cares? <laughs> Literally no one. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> on my left, we have uh, hip-hop writer extraordinaire. Um, you've seen his stuff in Wax Poetics, amongst other fine publications. Mr. David Ma, how's it going? Hey, what's going on, guys? Really happy to be here. Man. You know, congrats man. to you guys. Man, congrats. we just we keep, around. We keep uh, chugging along. Here at Tone Freak Studios, we have uh, Mr. Jerry D., on the mix right now and so yeah so 1988 let me set the stage because i feel like for 87 percent of our listeners they're like i was three years old at that time (laughs) so um 1988 there's still a soviet union if you don't know what that is um go ahead and, and google that um number one song in america was don't worry be happy by bobby mcferrin um some important to Nate Skrillex was born um, in 88. Uh, top movie, best picture of the year was Rain Man. Um, also in that year, we had Who, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Coming to America. Um, so an interesting year overall. We're getting the, the garbage truck coming in to collect. We're doing this actually outside um, <laughs> on 8th and Martha. It's a live taping. <laughs> There's a, a homeless man's getting kind of agitated with this. Um, all right, so so that's that's '88. We're still on like VHS, you know. Uh, cable is in there, but not but not super deep. Um, Nate's in second grade. Um, so is this up that you came upon this album that you came upon? You're in second grade, or is this kind of like a I later? came upon it later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I would say though, at the time, I was listening to. Uh, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Absolutely. Kid and Play, kind of your mm-hmm. like youth oriented hip hop acts. I was really into the uh, um, Fresh Prince song, You Saw My Blinker. Do you guys know oh, that song? Man. It's about yeah. road rage, essentially. Wow. Yeah, I loved that song. <laughs> wow. And uh, by the a uh, couple years after that, I started getting into like Ice Cube and mm. uh, sure, Lynch there was Mob a turn and all that stuff. Yeah, there was a definitely a turn. At this point, I, I was just kind of still in the kiddie realm, but. Uh, my album that I'm going to discuss today is Critical Beatdown mm. by Ultramagnetic MC. Nice, nice. An all-time classic. 
Um, there's kind of you could, if you were so inclined, kind of point to this as a mark of demarcation. Like this is when hip hop starts to get weird in the best possible way. So um, the group is Cool Keith, Said G, who's the main uh, B maker and the kind of the second MC. Um, Mo Love and TR Love, not related as far as I know. Um, and the fascinating thing that I learned in researching this little segment is that they're in high school. Yep. Damn. Yep. That doesn't make any sense. It, right. Except for, you know, Nas was in high school sure. or should have been going to high school when Nomadic came out and Outkast was in high school. But other playlist sounds like your out. dad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I used to hate said G. Like, I used to, like, try to forward all of Sid his G. verses. Mm-hmm. And, like, I just uh, – clearly he's the lesser – rapper and like he's very important to the group for providing balance and it can't all be so weird but i've really come around on that like i've come to appreciate said g and his kind of stentorian (laughs) delivery you know what i mean it's just like his stuff is also super weird but no one could ever out weird cool keith so don't try right sure you know what i mean so um some of the standout tracks include um ego trippin Which, if I were pressed, I would say is one of the best verses of all time. Like, this is kind of like Cool Keith, like, redoing the template and coming with just this amazing verse. Um, There's other great songs like Watch Me Now and Give the Drummer Some. And it's just a really solid album. It's, uh, you know, a single LP length, not too long. Um, And it just um, basically changed hip-hop it just expanded the possibility of what you could do rhyme wise and cool keith said in an interview by a little known writer called david ma for wax poetics (laughs) that um they weren't trying to be abstract per se but that they were trying to live out their fantasies on wax and that they wanted to be lyrical and sound like they were from outer space (laughs) mission accomplished all of that happened that's so perfect um the kind of production template is super bright super attacky Mm -hmm. and super well-tuned drums, which you have to give a lot of that credit to Paul C. Of course. I was going to say, Paul C was a legendary engineer and really helped shape this album. Um, So basically, this is kind of the beginning of The Legend of Cool Keith, and I found out about it much later. Probably, I would say, once I got obsessed with Dr. Octagon Mm. in, like, 96. It's like, where's this guy come from? Yeah. Let me go back in time, and that's when I started doing my research. So um, I have one little kind of funny story. This is a very obscure reference. Um, In the... Um, inner sleeve of what it was the CD at the time. It's the back cover of the record. TR Love is wearing this T-shirt that says "So Hot It Hurts" in this oh, kind yeah, of like yeah. you know what I'm talking totally. about, Dave. It's the best. So don't you have that shirt? Okay, this is where I'm oh, going I'm with sorry. this. So <laughs> I, I'm like an obsessive fan, right? I see this, I'm like, I love that shirt. Early kind of internet days of T-shirt emporiums. I go and order it. I'm like this short, stubby dude with a beard wearing this shirt that says so hot it hurts. Yes. And I used to DJ nice. a lot and wear it to my gigs and stuff. And like maybe one person ever got it. Like that's a pretty obscure low yeah. percentage reference, right? right? So it just looks like I think I'm like nice. hot, right? And then so I basically had to retire the shirt from the rotation because no one got it. Like Dave would get it and literally no one else in the world. I think it's time to bring it back, man. I know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The older you get, man. I'll have to uh, sew some panels into the side. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, if you've never heard it, really take the time to go listen to Critical Beatdown by Ultramagnetic MCs. It's just a, it's a phenomenal album. 
Uh, Ultra Magnetic MC's Critical Beatdown also was Cool Keith taking a shot at Run DMC. Interesting. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I, yep. he, he goes, uh, say what? Peter Piper, hella childish mm-hmm. rhyme. Oh, right, mm-hmm. right, right. You know what I mean? And to me, I was just like, <gasps> how are you going to take a shot at, at Run DMC? Um, Interesting. It was kind of, yeah, they were very, very bold. He's not down with the record. king. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. An atheist to Reverend. Right. But, uh, yeah. I never, I never like read that as a diss. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think when I, I I interviewed him and I brought it up and he he was like ambiguous about it years later. Right. Kind of saying, really. Like, hey, you really. Know, he just he stepped back on it a little bit. Okay. But okay. I, it definitely sounded like a diss. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Especially yeah. the era. So. Yeah. Um, no, he uh, began because I love disses. He goes, uh, they use the simple back and forth, the same old rhythm that a baby mm-hmm. could pick up and join right with them. Ooh. Wow. That's smoke in 88. Yeah. They, were, yeah. 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 they were bringing the smoke in 88. Yeah. Wow. All right. Excellent choice. Like a fine wine gets better with time. Um, Mr. David Ma, when you were in second grade writing for the school newspaper <laughs> <laughs> about lunchtime battles. That's um, hilarious. What uh what what record was it for you? Well, for me, um, I'm 38, not 48, so uh, I probably came across this album in the mid 90s, and mine is uh, Slick Rick's uh, Greatest Adventures, of course. And um, you know, having having said that, by the time I came across it, it was already a decade old, and it, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy how music strikes you because it enters your timeline, at and it's. And it can be the most epic shit ever that's already existed in the world, but to, but your mind is being blown for the first time. I mean, I, th- I can assume it's the same for any kid who's going to pick up introducing or donuts, you know? But anyways, I digress. So I, I heard this shortly after Doggy Style came out because I remember hearing Lottie Dottie and being like, oh, this is not a Snoop original? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a freshman in high school or something. And um, after that, I dove into Rick's catalog, and he remains top five for me for sure. And um, like I mentioned prior, what I've always loved about hip-hop is humor. And, you know, you can be braggadocious, you can, you know, have amazing production, but humor and this sort of um, lack of seriousness and storytelling always struck me. And um, it should be noted that the producers on here are credited to uh, Jam Master J, Rick himself, and the rest was Bomb Squad, minus, minus Chuck. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I have a little anecdote on that later, but um, <clears throat> I was lucky enough to speak with... Uh, uh, Rick, a couple times. Um, one was for Wax Poetics, and then was, and then it ran again for Wax Poetics Japan. And um, you know, it. I'm stoked because I mean, obviously, it it just speaks to his towering influence that I'm doing this piece on him 20 years later, 20 years removed from when the album came out. And so the uh, song that I want to pick that sticks out to me is uh, "Teacher, Teacher." And it's funny, so when I did interview Rick, he said that he thought the song was garbage. Really? Yeah. And that's like one of my favorite tracks on there. You He's know? the one guy, huh? I know. I mean, we're talking about an album filled with Lottie Dottie, Children's Story, all the classics. But I'm going to read a quick passage from um, the interview with him. So it says, Rick, certain beats and me don't work. Teacher, teacher was garbage. No disrespect, but it was filler to me. I mean, you got people working on a record behind the scenes who have, who have to keep score, who have to keep score of what the public would like. And that's when they brought in the bomb squad. 
I mean, sometimes a good beat just doesn't bring out the best in an MC or vice versa. And this was the case with the Bomb Squad. I liked their beats, but it didn't work well with my style. So, I mean, it's just another example of when a fan is totally in love with the offering, but the artist doesn't, you know what I mean? And you just have no idea what goes on behind the, behind the scenes. <clears throat> but this album, I mean, speaks to me because obviously it's, it's influence, right? I mean, you can hear it from anybody, from Nicki Minaj to Kendrick to Biggie or anyone who's ever switched up their voice or added another dimensional character to the arc of the storytelling. And, um, or even in Jay-Z's um, Fade to Black when he's making 99 Problems, and he goes to Rick Rubin and he's like, I'm going to slick Rick this. <laughs> so, you know, when, when, you're, when your moniker has turned into a, uh, turned into a verb, it really, it, really, it really speaks to it. And um, not to further name drop, but one more thing. When I interviewed uh, Ghostface, um, and on the cover of, <clears throat> excuse me, on the cover of the Pretty Tony album, where Ghostface is wearing that big Jesus piece, it was apparently given to him by Slick Rick before he hit the stage. And Ghostface says that, you know, Slick Rick is tops for him as well. So, you know, it's good enough for Ghostface. It's good enough for me. Isn't this one of your favorite records of all time? Yeah, of all time. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. So that was an easy pick for for this segment. Yeah. Yeah, that record was like sex education (laughs) (laughs) for for, for me at the time. So funny, his voice. I mean, has anybody really done the, the voice changes as well? No, and it's always just reverential to right, Slick Rick. Right. It's like you, you people just have tried to cut. You know, Dell did that, Biggie sure. did that on on certain tracks. But as an MC, I definitely, and a lot of folks definitely studied this idea of rapping over yourself and mm-hmm. rapping and having these kind of dueling tracks right. going um, back and forth at each other. So, um, super heavy record, teenage love. Uh, right. Uh, Jeez, forgot about that. Yeah, that was that was uh, the feels back in '88. <laughs> awesome. All right, all right. So, um, critical beatdown, the adventures of Slick Rick. This was a heavy year, man. Oh yeah, I mean that's when- kind of why I wanted to go back into it. It's like Murderer's Row. There's just so <laughs> many good things to choose from. Eric B. and Rakim follow the leader is one that I don't right. think made the cut today. It's just like do a show on that. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, and it, it was this year I think that. Um, beats and rhymes were at an equal level of innovation. So, you know, it, it seems like folks had kind of just figured out the samplers. It doesn't mm-hmm. have that raw early 80s feel. It's not about right. bands anymore. Um, it's not about rappers are really experimenting. In, in, in 88, everybody had their own personality. Right. You know, there weren't two Slick Ricks. There was one. Right. There was one Cool Keith. Um, still only one cool Keith. Um, <laughs> so so in that vein, I'm going to go with another kind of um, iconic record that came out in 1988 that just has incredible significance for me. Um, and that's uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions by Public Enemy. Um, of course. 88 was a, a seminal year for a lot of reasons, but one of them was we got cable. So cable finally <laughs> made its way. Uh, to, you know, my semi-suburban San Jose neighborhood. We're like the last neighborhood to get cable. Um, And what this meant is that I had access to Yo! MTV raps. So prior to that, I was kind of just tethered to whatever was played on the radio um, and didn't really know too much about East Coast rap in general. I was more like, you know, Rodney O and Joe Cooley, um, MC Hammer, those those kind of groups of the day. And so watching Yo! MTV raps, uh, the video for Night of the Living Bassheads came on, mm. which 
on a future show, we'll talk about greatest videos of all time. This is one of the greatest rap videos of all time and maybe had a $7 budget. But <laughs> it the the color, the noise, the sound, the characters, it was my first introduction to Chuck D, this booming voice, like the older brother you never had coming in and telling you mm-hmm. about rap. Uh, Flavor Flav being the Joker in the deck, this kind of colorful hype man, like, just wigging out. So my first introduction to Public Enemy was, like, this visual of seeing that video. Um, My older cousin had it, dubbed it from him, uh, dubbed the tape, and pretty much listened to it every day for about 18 months or something like that. My kids crack up because if I put it on in the car, I will rap it word for word, every (laughs) skit, every ad lib, you know, it's like being possessed. So, um... It, it was a huge, huge record for me. Um, number one, the content of it. Um, I'm 12 and 88, kind of going through that who are you identity thing, uh, being a black kid and having Chuck come through and introduce black nationalism in this kind of format was huge for me. So I joined the fan club. I bought the, the Is medallions. That really true? You literally I was part the of the fan club. club because, oh, man. Wow. They had an order form where you could order the the public enemy medallions. Yeah. Like I was, I was all in. Um, and and his kind of content and his delivery. And he was older at that time. I think he was like twenty seven when this record came out. So he kind of had this authoritative authoritative voice and the way he came through. And then you pair that with um, the Bomb Squad's production, which may not have worked for Slick Rick, but um, <laughs> it certainly works for Chuck D. For Chuck D. and Public Enemy um, coming out of uh, 1987's Yo Bum Rush the Show, um, which wasn't you know commercially a smash, but they toured a lot that year, and they went back in the studio saying we want faster songs um, to play at shows, and so it's this up tempo, absolute chaos it's really you know organized chaos that the bomb squad put together and it's really a technical achievement because they're not working with you know the the pro tools in in this type of software where you could line up 22 samples and cut them up they're literally using tape loops so they're they're splicing tape with a razor blade and taping it together um which is just a technical achievement in and of itself but it's it provided this perfect backdrop to kind of Chuck's booming authoritative uh, vocal, and then you know Flav punctuating it, greatest hype man ever, um, Flavor Flav. And so um, I listened to it, I internalized it, it became me, shaped my not only my musical taste but my political thought. And uh, so one day I go to school, I'm in sixth grade, and we're doing a poetry unit, and the teacher says, you know, find a poem, bring it in, and share it. So I brought. Um, Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos. I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said no. And so, as you can see, Chuck starts off top that, you know, he got a letter from the government. Um, he opened and read it and said they were suckers. You know, he's not going to the army, which my teacher was like, what is, what is this? It blew both of our minds. She's like, how could somebody say that? And I was like, word, I'm not going either. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, so even, even that idea of, you know, I had to go and ask, like, what did he mean by that? And it's like, you know, my cousin was like, well, there was a draft and, you know, kind of breaking that down. And so 
Um, just on so many levels, an incredible record, incredible skits. Um, you know, it's one of those kind of seminal pieces of, of the 80s, I think even from a pop culture perspective, mm-hmm. um, and, and bringing kind of political influence um, into rap. So um, I could probably do my own solo podcast on It Takes a Nation of Millions, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that would be the record for me. Oh, perfect. I mean, yeah. all those are really hard to argue with. Just reminds you of how fertile that time was. Yeah. Um, in record collecting, it's kind of like 88 ends an era, and then in 1989, there's all these like what are now called random rap, but are mm-hmm. what are really shitty like home recorded takes on rap, usually in the kind of up tempo drum machine right, style. Right. Okay. And it's like in 88, everything was like seminal, and then in 89, everyone thought they could do it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, mm-hmm. you know, would buy any hip-hop record I could. I used to, on our old, um, our first blog, I had a column called Bad Rap, and it was like, we were about to start getting into these terrible records, and I think it's because people were so inspired by mm-hmm. this, like, mm-hmm. la- this flowering of the golden age, sure. right? It's like, sure. of course you're going to be inspired by EPMD right. or Chuck right. D or Public Enemy or Slick Rick, right. but that doesn't make you totally Slick Rick. It right. makes you, like, some guy. Right. And so there's all these terrible records of people really? who thought they could rap. It's kind of the beginning of that, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. Up until that point most people had a point of view i think pe- people saw that hip-hop was something you could do to make money and something that like mm-hmm. it's just talking over a beat right how right. hard could it be right. so there's all these like awful records right interesting yeah okay. so kind of okay. like the backpack movement right anyone yeah. can make it in their bedroom right you know that it wow okay I'll, i i'd love to i gotta circle back on the yes, on the on the blog there. i got a um box full of records in my stairwell <laughs> of collected from that time. The ones that aren't worth money and are terrible. It's like that's <laughs> the, the, bargain, the, the bargain bin. Yeah, man. So eight eighty eight was like, is that the beginning of the quote unquote golden era? Hmm. It's, it's right in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, there's always these parentheses that people are very strict about, but maybe you know. earlier. You're, yeah. you're saying 88 to 94. I don't know. That sounds like right give to or me. take a year. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Around there somewhere. Yeah. It's gotta okay. be. Okay. That's the best stuff where people had budget, people could mm-hmm. sample freely. Mm-hmm. People oh, like man. people were kind of right. like um liberated right. by Rakim to explore different themes. Totally. I don't know. I don't know the exact dates, right. but and the sampling rights thing, I mean, tons of stuff yeah, I love is ridiculous. You know, came out at that time. Beastie man. Boys, Biz, I mean, just yeah. samples galore. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I feel like that was that moment where, you know, beats were still you know they hadn't perfected the hip hop beat right. yet, and so it's it's just there's so much experimentation going on, and I and I wonder in your '89 um, uh, corollary to when bad rap started to happen, I w- I would like to see a flow chart of like how many records came out of the West Coast after that, mm, like right. and kind of in mm. in in other kind of locales, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of you're out of the tri-state area at that yeah. point. You start right. to get your flowerings of your scenes right. around the country. Right. National magazines, right? Yeah. So. yeah, and then I guess, you know, Def Jam going on tour, I think probably had a lot to do with it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, of, of getting folks there. So, um, 88, uh, it was a great year in hip-hop and now we are 25 years removed Jeez. from 88. Jeez Louise. Is, is it possible is it possible to have another 88? Will we look back? Or Aren't is we that 30 oh, years? Are we 30 years? 
Isn't that why Nate, we're doing you're, this? You're our math guy. <laughs> I depend on you to make sure that the numbers line up. We did 98. It was 20 years ago. Oh, damn man. it. Yeah. Damn it. So on the next podcast, we're going to um, shout out Jerry's year 78. Um, <laughs> Play the 15-minute version of Rapper's Delight and yeah, rap exactly. along. I got the cheese verse. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah. So, 1988, an amazing year in hip-hop. Um, how important is it to new listeners? How do you guys feel about that when people say, well, these kids should go and check out, you know. Does, I, it, does it matter if a 19-year-old goes and checks out 88? Does it matter? No. I think, like, for their life experience as a human, Sure. But, right. um, you know, it's always good to have to know your foundational sounds and where everything came from. But, no, I mean, we, you know, when we first heard Tribe, we liked it. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't deep on Melly Mel, you know. Sure. So Sure. I, I think there's an innocence there that uh, we're maybe, uh, you know, projecting. I think these, especially with this, uh, which guy is it this week who doesn't like Tupac, uh, Little Zan? Oh, yeah. I, Little I Yeah. One, yeah. who cares what he thinks? <laughs> right. Two, it only makes the news if he doesn't like it. Right. No right. one's going to write a blog about how much this kid loves Tupac. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's, right. it's a controversial opinion. They're all about getting face tattoos and taking drugs and saying fuck you to the system. Yeah, sure. If the system is Tupac at this point, then Damn. that's yeah. kind just, of just what, let them be. That's what they're rebelling against, right. and that's fine. You're really rebelling against Tupac. <laughs> that is an incredible sea change in terms of uh, – right. In terms of rap, when when Tupac is the staid kind of mm-hmm. crusty thing, it used to be Jay Z. Ten years ago, it was really cool to be like, "Yeah, I'm not like Jay Z. Fuck that. We're new. Right? We're new." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I happen to like the music my parents liked, but most kids don't. Right? Right. right. It's like we kind of got lucky. It's like the kind of 60s classic rock that's like seminal to american and british culture right it's a that was a sea change at that time and something i could get behind i just happen to like it i think a lot of kids grow up not liking their parents music and their parents music if you're a young person now is probably Mm -hmm. Mm hip-hop yeah and that's that's hip-hop took over the world Mm -hmm. yeah it, it really did and i i i struggle because on one hand you know you do want your kids to be like hey man Listen to this. Like my 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 mom used to berate me about Ice Cube stuff because he was always ripping off George Clinton, and she would be like, "That is just funkadelic X Y's," mm, and I'd be right. like, "Yeah, but it's new." And then later on, like, yeah. I, I would no. say he's paying George Clinton. Right? Yeah, hopefully he's <laughs> keeping George Clinton relevant. Man, but boy, Bob did Gunn, he, ever. he literally guested. You know, it's like yeah, it's the yeah. one like they're they're still touring. I would say, and I've had this argument with other people more off of G Funk than they are off of their real records. Like, well, it extended Donald the run. Donald Glover is doing their real records, but right, right, Snoop right. Dogg yeah. and Dre were taking the best parts of, you know, those, and those are the classics now. I mean, is, is Blue Note Records even functional without their kind of this, like, renaissance of all the breaks that were right. looted from? I mean, right. they've released so many, like, Blue Note breaks. Right, and, right. Totally. And I would say things. because of Nora Jones a couple of years ago, maybe that first album of hers that won all the Grammys was on Blue Note. But, like, oh, was it? Yeah. But that Mad Lib Shades of Blue album is more important to my friends, right? Totally. Totally. So, so there it is. Rap, number one genre, pumping life into all your dead genres. <laughs> um, 100%. Understand it, deal with it, reflect on it, little Zan. Um, and we'll be back for more Dad Bod Rap Pod.
Bod Rap Pod, Dead Bod Rap Pod, Dead Bod Rap Pod, episode 14. Uh, continuing our kind of deconstruction of the year 1988, um, we're going to get into Slept On Gems. And so these are, these are joints that, you know, we feel are amazing, but for whatever reason are, aren't necessarily heralded um, as, as the great hip-hop songs that they are. Um, so we're each going to share a little bit about, about our Slept On Gems, and, and we're sticking to the theme of Slept On Gems from 1988. Um, and we'll start with Mr. Nate LeBlanc. So my Slept On Gem from 88, and that this is always a weird line because it's like, to a head, this is probably kind of a common song, but right. it seems like that's not really who's listening to our podcast. It's like tends to be more of a general listener. So I'm going to go with JVC Force, oh, Strong nice. Island. Yes. Listen to the situation, my son. I'm as serious as cancer or fun and done for the time. The people correspond to rhymes to his valley. The best you will find Living in CI Who the hell am I? Agent Rock with Juice I get fly Cool with the riffing guy Keep a handle Cause if you don't I wax it down like a can um, just an awesome track. Um, I love that kind of buzzsaw guitar From the Frida Payne Unhooked Generation um, Just it As I was listening back to it today I realized It's kind of an EPMD song Like it sounds a lot like EPMD mm-hmm. It's kind of clearly In the lane that they created It's kind of a suburban New York song it's got a huge sample it's kind of dubby and there's like kind of effects on everything and then there's kind of these kind of like talking verses but to me this is this is what hip-hop is all about this is like um a kind of straightforward um really thick sounding slab of beats and rhymes and I could listen to stuff like this all day and oftentimes do um so I just want to kind of make sure that more people are listening to stuff like this and my only little anecdote about this song is that um the record collecting grail for this song is the blue version which was out on B-Boy huh. Records okay. um but it has this kind of like really uh, staccato scratched intro that mm. I don't like. I like the album version, so that's what I brought for this. And um, I, I kind of don't have a ton to say other than that. I love this song, and I wish there were <laughs> hundreds of more songs like it. And I it's mean, just, JVC Force is is kind of a slept on group. Yeah, you don't hear much about them these days. Yeah, and it it was almost and I, I love your EPMD kind of comparison because to 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 my mind, I kind of thought they were a little bit better lyrically hmm. than than epmd maybe not as catchy and maybe that's why it never right. kind of happened for right. them yeah um i know there's a thread of hip-hop where their fashion from this period is is held kind of in very high esteem i'm right. not that fashionable but i know <laughs> i know some some of my supreme type older mm. cats really really vibe off of, of uh what they were what they were rocking on that album mm. Nice. All right. Mr. David Moss slept on gems from 1988. So uh, just kind of while doing, you know, kind of overlooking all my notes and everything, you know, 1988 was such a rich year, right? I mean, we mentioned EPMD. We mentioned other um, Eric B. and Rakim. I mean, Juice Cruise, The Symphony came out the year. I mean, geez, you know. Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) This guy sucked. Um, But uh, my my slept on gem is from Super Lover C and Casanova Rudd. And uh, as much as I love Girls, I Got Them Locked, um, the song I really like is Super Lover. Chill home girls don't mob me 
And, you know, I like it because it's, you know, it's sort of their official joint anthem and obviously the drums on it knock. And um, we, we touched on this earlier, but uh, Paul C., was also um, responsible for that. And, you know, um, I sort of got into Paul C. in the early aughts of the 2000s, uh, reading Dave Tompkins' epic Paul C. article. I mean, that, that, is the, that should be the, sort of the reference point. And for those who are unfamiliar, I mean, Paul C. is almost a mythical figure for a few, uh, I mean, for a few reasons. One, he's a white guy at that time. Two, uh, sound engineering, forward-thinking production techniques, the way he layered sounds, and particularly the drums. I mean, and he's this guy that gets spoken in the highest regard by masters like Cool Keith and Large Pro. And Paul passed away sort of tragically, and I believe his murder is still unsolved. Mm. So that's sort of the lore behind it. And the main, one of the main reasons I love the song so much is the production, because it's... It's like it, it's its own lane. You just hear these layers that kind of come and go, and then and then you're reminded that it's from '88, you know. Mm. And it's, you know, and this is an era of Bomb Squad. So these, I mean, they were kind of right up there in terms of technicality. So um, I again, I don't have much to say besides I love the song. Uh, shouts to Casanova Rudd, who when I was listening to this again, I was like, he had some modern cadences and sort of a you know, advanced delivery, you know, mm, up, up okay. his sleeve, for, you okay. know, at that time. So, and aesthetically, it's it's playful. The the rest of the album, I can't really get with some of the crazy misogyny, but that's that's a no. different subject. Find an ugly woman? No? <laughs> and I make mean, your wife? No? It's not even funny, you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyways, I, I digress. Having said that, um, love this one. What about yeah. you, Damon? Um, All right. So for me, um, it's, it's definitely a group that everybody is familiar with, Audio 2. Mm. Um, as Dave will tell you, I'm a big proponent of First Priority Records, Audio 2, MC Light, that whole kind of, for a two-year stretch, they were putting out some incredible, incredible records. Um, we all know about Top Billing, but my pick for Slept on Gems is a song called I Don't Care. Yo, my name is Milk, when milk is on the mic, I say all the rhymes you MCs hate. I really don't care what you think or say, I gotta bust a rhyme in my own Away. Giz is my brother, mom is my mother, D is my father. You say, why bother? Because they put me here on this earth. Light is on my side and she is worth more to me than you. Forget your crew, it doesn't matter what you say or what you do. I'll keep on rocking, I roll too quick. Or you groupies. And so the, the reason that I, I love this one is because it's kind of milk, D at his most nasal and just owning it like he his flow and you know i hope he doesn't listen to this one day but it's <laughs> it's so it's so annoying in a good way it's mm. in that like in that ad rock kind of be real cypress hill lane where it's just so over the top and on i don't care he's um he's taking some of the cadence he had on top billing which is just kind of pitch perfect and he's doing weird, weird off-kilter stuff with it. In the first lines, it, it doesn't rhyme. Like, he's just, mm. he's doing weird stuff. Um, the projection is reminiscent to Top Billin' um, in terms of, of the drum programming, which, for me, Top Billin' is the best drum programming ever. Mm. Like, the most simple but effective drum programming, and it's been sampled a million times because of that. But I Don't Care has a similar punchiness, um, 
and the pattern is just incredible and it's just very very simple um but direct and that was kind of their formula back in those days so you had top billing i don't care as kind of a uh, a counter note to that and then the MC light stuff with paper thin and, and all these things. Mm. And so first priority record started by milk D's dad, um, in order just to put out his son's record. Would you uh, say that was his priority at the time? <laughs> dad jokes here at the dad. The second priority was like MC light and all that stuff. And they're related. Yeah. MC, <laughs> MC light is, uh, is milk D's cousin. Oh. Um, there, I haven't never got to the bottom of it, but there's some um, lore that says she wrote some of the oh, stuff wow. for audio too. That's interesting, um, which would be super interesting. But I haven't, I haven't like got official word on that, so don't quote me. Um, but yeah, that that would be my my slept on gym uh, for 1988. So we should, um, I don't know, follow us on Twitter. Like we'll probably post links to these things. They're really, really incredible songs from an incredible era. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Dad Bod Rap Pod. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Dad Bod Rap Pod and on SoundCloud slash Dad Bod Rap Pod, all spelled out. And we really welcome um, if you feel a certain way about a, a take you've heard on here. Feel free to add us, uh, tell us we're wrong. But overall, thanks for listening. We got more incredible interviews and. Fly, wonderful conversation. Dead by rap.